Hello everyone, it's Friday the 15th of September and welcome to episode 172 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. Me, Ben Eagle. Now today on the podcast, we are discussing the importance of maximising milk solids and what this means for sustainable dairy production. Whilst the average milk solids production per cow in the UK is 675 kilos, there are a small number of dairy farmers producing near to or over 1,000 kilos of fat and protein per cow per year. Kites looked at seven of these herds to understand what sets them apart from the average. Kites Rose Jackson and Mamie French have since put together a report entitled Efficiently Achieving 1,000 Kilos, which has been sponsored by NMR, and Rose is with us today to discuss the findings. We're also joined by dairy farmer Robin Campbell, who farms near Castle Douglas and took part in the study. Also with us is our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach, and everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's head over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm bringing you my report belatedly from UK Dairy Day and the Dairy UK Dinner Day. Yes, confusing, isn't it? Both of which were held on Wednesday. And there aren't many days in the dairy calendar when I can strut about looking important at not one event, but two on the same day. So I made the most of it. And so important am I these days, thanks to this podcast, I can go on any stand at Dairy Day that makes tea and coffee and they'll give me a cup for nothing. I don't even have to pay for it. That's unless I've written bad things about them. Then they look at me with hatred in their eyes and throw things at me. At the Dairy UK dinner, well, that was a great success as ever. It was held in the old War Office building, which I thought was a very apt uh, choice of venue since we seem to be at war with somebody most of the time. If it's not ourselves, it's retailers or lunatic vegans or even more lunatic politicians. Anyway, what's been happening this week? Is there any progress, anything of note? Well, there's an incy-wincy bit more of a positive GDT pulse auction than there was. Whole milk powder increased by $25, not much, but a bit. Uh, In Europe, I think buyers are trying to push prices up. Not sure it's working because buyers, well, They're not liking it. They're stepping back from the market. So I think we're on a knife edge. These next two weeks could be critical. But get this. The Dutch Dairy Board increased the price of all of its commodities this week. And German butter, SMP and whey all increased. So a good week there. Uh, Dutch butter was up 100 euros to 4,450 euros. The German up 45 to 4,500. And Dutch skim rose 50 euros, so overturning four weeks of losses. On the spot markets, last week I spoke of five of eight commodities increasing in price and just two dropping. This week, six commodities increased and two held with no drops. 
Well, that's apart from a major mega mammoth drop in the last minute from the Fijian Dairy Board. Oh, sorry. No, that's the rugby. That is. That's the rugby. That's not dairy prices. Will, tell me, have you, has the whole of Wales recovered from the Fiji <laughs> game yet? I don't think the Wales players have recovered yet, that's for sure. I can, I can practically feel the bruises from here. Yes, I think you're right. Mm. Uh, the Futures had a good week, though, a very good week, I'd say. EU and New Zealand butter up 50 euros on average through to February. A skim up 60. I am putting in a lot of upwards in this report, I think. Uh, whole milk powder in New Zealand up over 200 euros equivalent. Uh, cream in the EU continues to be good, about the same as it was at the equivalent of £2 a kilo. No such luck for the UK. It climbed a bit this week to the very high 160s, near to 170. And then I heard someone else say it was down in the low 160s again. So all over the place, it seems. So will these increases hold? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, traders are gathering in Dublin this week for the Stonex conference. And at these events, traders normally talk the price up or down. I'll have a spy there hiding under the desk. And he tells me the overall view is still short-termingly bearish into 2024, but generally balanced and nothing new or exciting to report yet. The overall view is balanced with nothing new or exciting to report yet. There's one of the world's biggest trade fairs next month, and we may have to wait for that. Alas, I think the mood music for Farmgate milk prices is still down, though, if the one for commodities is neutral to up. Uh, on that note, Lakeland Dairies in Northern Ireland has announced its price for August, which the processor says, and I quote, represents market conditions and their price down 1.25 to 27.25 pence, the lowest price in the UK. Meanwhile, the GB in GB, the highest price is M&S at nearly 46p, a massive differential, huge. But we love huge differentials, especially if they're in England's favour at the World Cup. A hey, Will and Robin, would yes. you like to comment, Will? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No comment there, obviously. Uh, so love. on that note... <laughs> Over to our guests and good luck in your matches this weekend. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, we all we all love an England drop goal, don't we? Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rose, welcome back to the show. Uh, we spoke about your study a couple of months ago, but now you've put together the report. Uh, we wanted to take another look at this. Um, can you take us back to the beginning of the project and just explain why it came about in the first place? Yeah, thank, thanks, Will. Morning, everyone. Um, I guess taking it right back to the beginning, the, the wider context of the report is the, the need to feed the ever-growing world population, right? So we, we know that the main nutritional value of milk lies in that fat and protein content. So moving away from talking about liquid yield and instead focusing on total solids makes, makes sense. 
Um, as land and resources become more limiting, maximising the kilos of fat and protein produced per cow is one way of increasing the sustainability of a dairy business. So that whole more output from fewer cows story that we've we've talked about on the podcast before. Fantastic. OK. Um, and in your study, you were analysing several key areas, including uh, genetics, management, nutrition, environment and health and welfare. Uh, why why is it these key areas that you focused on? Well, a cow's performance is down to a complex interaction between her genetics and her environment. So that was kind of the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that cows are only going to reach their true genetic potential if they're fed and managed appropriately. And this high level of production that we're talking about is only going to be achieved if if the health and welfare are optimum too. And, you know, as a former vet, that that was really important to include that for me. For sure. And and those genetics, what did you discover um, with with those? And um, were there crossovers between the herds? Was it was there sort of commonality? And yeah, how did it all pan out? Yeah, so there, there were a lot of similarities between the herds in, in terms of genetic. Um, they were all Holstein herds, probably should say that first. Um, and one of the big, big take homes, for example, then was that they all had a very clear and focused breeding strategy. So even though the strategy differed between farms, they all had a plan and were sticking to it. Um, they were all in the top 15% or higher for PLI um, and demonstrated a good rate of genetic gain over each sub- subsequent generation. And they were all exceeding their genetic predictions for fat and protein which was important. And then, you know, the, the main sort of key take home for me from the genetics section was that up to 50% of the total solids output was down to genetics. So I should say that uh, Robin does actually have um, a separate herd of jerseys uh, as well, but because they weren't kind of up in the same league in terms of um, a thousand kilo target and they're managed completely separately, I decided to keep them out of the the main, main report because it's very difficult to compare genetics bet- across the breeds like that. Right. Okay. So what about the nutrition and feed efficiency findings? Yeah, well, um, improving feed efficiency is a big driver for reducing carbon footprint on farm. Um, And all of the farms in the study were achieving over 1.4 kilo of energy corrected milk per kilo of dry matter intake, which is kind of our gold standard. Um, And two of them were actually achieving over 1.6, which is excellent. Um, All of the herds were on a single TMR or PMR for the robot herd for the for the whole lactation um, and they all had a decent amount of forage going into the rations they were all feeding at least 50% forage um, so you know sort of balanced diets um, there was quite a lot of similarities in terms of the feed additives that were going in so they were all feeding a C16 fat so that's a major component of milk fat and the majority of the herds we went to were feeding choline and protective methionine in the in the transition diets and um, all but one fed a, a decab diet as well to close up cows. So, Rose, generally in terms of calving and calf rearing or management, what did you discover? Um, well, colostrum management was was good across all seven farms. So the majority were were testing colostrum quality and using that to make decisions and feeding a decent amount. Um, and they were all feeding what we would deem a sort of appropriate rate of milk. Um, so the range was six to nine litres. Um, but the main sort of take home uh, thing to remember is that you need at least a thousand grams of calf milk, calf milk replacer per calf per day to get a thousand kilos of solids out the other end. So they were that's, you know, that's the sort of level to aim for. Um, and the reason this is important is because those first 50 days of a heifer's life are crucial to that lifetime performance. And it's also the time when you're going to get the best feed efficiency of her life. So that's why that was important. Robin, let's bring you in. Um, welcome to the show. 
Uh, can you introduce yourself, first of all, uh, your farm and the herd? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I farm at Gatehouse of Fleet in southwest Scotland in partnership with my parents and my partner as well. We uh, have seven full-time members of staff. We have uh, 520 cows, uh, fully housed, all year round calving, uh, three times a day milking. Um, we're completely grass farm, no arable, just a, where we're situated. So, yeah, that's a bit, bit about us. So, yeah, so you moved to your current farm from another unit. Um it was five six years ago um how has this changed how has the farm environment changed how that's helped how has that helped you yeah yeah it's uh it's changed a lot we moved uh six years ago um so we mostly were a rented farm before and we decided we wanted to uh have our own farm if we could so we managed to buy this um so it was we moved uh all our cows in one day which was a big change uh different forages different sheds different staff so uh, for the first year we probably went back almost, but after that it's been a it's been a gradual improvement year on year. Um, we have all our stock on one site now, which I think has helped us as well. Before we used to move animals about a bit, um, but yeah, yeah, we're um, it's definitely made a big difference now. Yeah, and Rose, with all the time that you've been spending on the Campbell's farm, uh, what stood out for you? What are they doing well? Um. Well, lots of things, but I, I, will, I will say that it, it was literally, it's one of the tidiest farms I've, I've ever been to. And um, the, the attention to detail was was really obvious and a lot of thought has gone into the design of the, the cow accommodation. Um, but if I had to pick one thing, though, um, to, to talk about today, it would probably be the calf rearing that stood out. So, you know, absolute gold standard colostrum management, deep straw beds, you know, really happy, clean, cosy calves. Um, they're on automatic milk feeder so maximizing that milk intake um and the age at first calving was one of the at the lower end in the study so 23 months and and robin just um going back to uh sort of those those main areas of the report and we're going to take those in turn um in terms of uh, you've already mentioned how the environments have changed from your first unit but what what do you think that you've been doing and, and going forward as well how can you continually improve that Yep, yep. So um, all our sheds have uh, good quality mattresses bedded up on sawdust. Um, we've put fans into some of our sheds, fans in our collecting yard and our parlour to try and help, brushes in all of our sheds, um, good lighting, all on timers um, to try and optimise 16 hours of daylight in the sheds. For, um, we recently built a new cow shed, finished it um, just, just about a year ago, so that was the first full shed we got to build here ourselves. Um, so we went two row, what uh, is what big wide passages, lots of feed space for the cows, um, automatic curtain on the side for ventilation. Um, we've also we have some three row sheds here, and we've um, we've extended feed space on them for the original sheds we inherited. So that that's helped quite a lot as well, just to try and give the cows more feeding space. So, Rose, in terms of feed efficiency nutrition, let's turn to that. Uh, what are the Campbells doing well? Yeah, so um, Robin's farm was at the, the higher end of the feed efficiency at, at 1.5, um, so uh, which is really good. Um, they were making really good quality grass silage, 
um, which obviously helps with intakes and everything like that. And also um, there are compact feeding, which is, you know, great for optimizing rumen health and, and intakes and things like that. Hmm. Okay. Robin, um, how, obviously you've obviously been, uh, made a lot of improvements over, over the last number of years and a lot of, lot of quite big changes. How focused have you been in the past on milk solids? Yeah, um, very focused. We uh, we actually, when Arla changed their pricing quite a few years ago, we decided that we'd bred mostly traditionally for tight and not really just white water, as they would have called it, really. But um, yeah, so in 2016, we decided with the pricing change, we actually imported some jerseys from Denmark. Okay. Um, so we still got them, but we imported sixty to start with, and uh, well, they actually suit quite well. When we moved, we uh, some of our sheds weren't maybe they were good sheds, but they weren't maybe fit for fit for Holstein cows, but they still work for our jerseys. But yeah, as Rose said, we we compact feed, um, try to get our ration down to about thirty eight percent dry matter. Um, try it. so I saw that in Denmark in twenty eighteen. I went on a trip with uh, Pathfinders and uh, I, we saw some really good farms over there. I was really, I wanted to try it. So when we came back, um, we decided we were going to give it a go and Joss Fawcett helped me. We went with him and he uh, we started giving it a go and yeah, we've not stopped it yet anyway. So it's been good. Awesome. Can I come in and ask you a question, Robin? You know, when you're sort of, for example, you've got the three row bands and you've added feed space and, you know, Rose talked about your attention to detail across all of the farms. When you're making changes, you're making changes to, you know, what's the primary driver? Is it cow health? Is it production? Is it, you know, reducing waste or, you know, a cash driver? What what really drives you to to be the tidiest farm that Rose Jackson's ever been on? <laughs> um I think I think we just we we like cows and we want to do as good a job of that and we also we need to make money as well we bought this place so we've got to uh, yeah it's, it's a bit it's a bit it's a bit of everything but yeah we we yeah we we like cows and we want to get we want to get the most out of them and that's that's what we like is you know we are we're that's our we're house dairy farm and that's what we want to do and yeah just try and make as great good in that environment for the cows as we can and get as mm. much out of them and hopefully we can that gets that gives us a good living as well sure. how much do you focus on genetics yeah yeah we do a lot um we do uh we're uh we're all sex human um all genomic have been for a while we're fully genomic testing all our young stock we're about 70% beef as well. So most of our replacements just come from our top end maiden heifers and first lactations. Um, so yeah, we, uh, yeah, we're very, very, very focused on that. And, uh, yeah, it's the genomic testing's helping. It's helped a lot. It's been good. And we're, hopefully the, the gains I think we're set to get in the next few years, it should be really good. Excited to see how it goes. Um, one of the things that came across in the report, Rose, was that 50% of the cow's ability to produce solids is down to genetics. Um, what's the potential impact of them? Well, it, sort of, as a dairy consultancy, we've, we've previously focused 
you know, probably quite rightly on improving cow's environment and, and nutrition. But I now think we're getting to the stage where genetics is becoming the limiting factor on production for, for some of these herds. Um, so hopefully this report demonstrates that genetics makes a significant contribution to milk solids output. So it really should be on everyone's list of priorities. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, a million dollar question now, Rose. What what else do you think the Campbells could be focusing on? I mean, did you on on the on the tidiest farm in Britain? Did you notice any uh, new opportunities? Um, that's a tricky one, really, because obviously we, we're there to see what, what what's, what's good and what's best practice. But yeah. we did um, we did talk a bit about improving the feed space in the first lactation group, didn't we, Robin? And and uh, I think that's one of your next. Um, priorities because they're on a, they're on a they were the only ones on a three row rather than a two row from from memory um and e- even though those heifers are doing really well in terms of expressing their genetic prediction for for solids output i think i think there is potential more potential out of that group if we can increase their intakes even more yeah, yeah definitely that's being, picky. that's being very picky <laughs> it's ordered if my builder will turn up <laughs> there you go well yeah i mean uh, uh, yeah. i suppose that's the importance isn't it that it's easy to um and we all do it and you can kind of get a bit complacent sometimes can't you but having that sort of outside set of eyes looking at your business is really really important isn't it robin so i guess um is there anything else you're going to be doing as a result of that i mean what what is next for you where would where would you like to get to in the next sort of four or five years um, yeah, yeah, we there is there's always plenty to do, so we're going to do that. We're also quite interested in. I think I'm going to try and make. We don't more loafing areas for cows. I've seen that on some farms. I think that would be something we're going to try to do. Um, or we will we will do it actually, and um, we're going to be a calf shed as well. So that's hopefully, um, hopefully next next year all going to plan and yeah, just constant improvements we've uh, we've all got a long list of stuff to, to well i have anyway <laughs> my parents might disagree but uh <laughs> we yeah we've, there's always stuff we want to do and just constantly keep improving if we can it's yeah. always interesting with local areas how much time cows spend in those where they're available yeah. we went on a tour didn't we down south last yeah. year robin with one of the one of the groups that robin's in and you know th- it doesn't matter come rain shine sun baking heat you know they, they you tend to find cows out there quite a lot yeah they definitely were i think it that was uh, when we saw that i was like no i think that's something we need to try and do yeah we, we with our cattle they'll they'll we've got a, a few loafing areas on the end of sheds and they'll they'll always it's amazing even in really bad weather how often they're outside there um unfortunately i've got to reef them all over now thanks to the new welsh slurry regulations but i'm not i'm not gonna get i'm not gonna get on that now <laughs> okay um rose what does all this mean um for farmers who are listening um no matter what their business looks like or what they're aspiring to achieve what can they learn from these seven farms or from the report well to, to try and bring it all together i would say that with, with the right team around you um you know we can say that the a thousand kilo target is is both achievable and desirable certainly for all year round predominantly house herds which you know are the ones that are included in this report um there were more similarities than differences across these seven farms which meant that we could pull out sort of several key management and genetic factors that could be adopted by other dairy farmers um and we've, we've discussed quite a few of these today including feed efficiency calf rearing and the the 
genomic data. Um, but I would say to get more detail, I would encourage people to read the report, which is it's on our website now. So I'm going to do a bit of a plug for that there. Fantastic. Uh, and what does um, you know? Look, we 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 we've talked we talk a lot about carbon and sustainability on the COP podcast. What does all this mean um, in terms of that uh, and dairy production moving forwards? Yeah, so one one of the key drivers of sustainability is lifetime production efficiency. So, which is what this is all about, really. So, fo- focusing on the a thousand kilo target while still keeping cow health and welfare at the centre of everything is going to help the dairy industry move towards its commitment to net zero milk production. All right, brilliant. Um, bit of light bedtime reading for everybody. Um, that's all we have time for today. But a very big thank you to our guests. Rose Jackson, Robin Campbell, Chris Walkland, and podcast producer Becky Leach. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. Um, if you're interested in reading Rose and Mamie's report, it, uh, it's available on the Kite website. Um, we'll be back next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.